welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip any car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me is Tom. Hello. And Chester. Hello, world. All right, this week, we're looking at a well-loved Japanese brand with a big history, and we're taking a stab at guiding its future. We'll discuss a couple of entries to Cars Guide Garage this week, and we'll catch, catch up with the man Neil deGrasse Tyson says is a special kind of person in Muskwatch. So stay with us. Um, but first of all, feedback and uh, plenty of feedback, which is great. But first of all, Chesto, we'll go to you. Uh, breaking news. Fill us in on what's happened overnight. Yes, some very exciting breaking news. So you would have seen us write about it, media outlets around the world write about it, the fact that there's a new Nissan 400Z or Z coming, which is a super exciting car, of course, return of an icon. This one's supposed to be retro style to look more like a 240 and 260 from the 70s. It's a very exciting stuff. Anyway, the only people who hadn't officially talked about it was Nissan. <laughs> yeah. But what yeah. are those sort of – we know it's happening, but it's technically unconfirmed kind of stories. Anyway, last night that all changed. So Nissan did a major financial presentation basically outlining the year that was, which was fairly woeful, and how they right. plan to turn it around in the future. At the end of that presentation, they often do, they rolled out all these – um, sort of silhouetted cars to show how exciting the coming years would be. The very last car, my friends, ah. was the Nissan 400Z. So officially confirmed Fabulous. by Nissan coming in 2021. And if you want to see those screen grabs, you'll probably see one on the screen now. Otherwise, jump onto the carsguide.com.au yes. website. The full story is there for you. So it was probably too far down the development pipeline. Uh, it would have made uh, would have cost more to stop it rather than keep going but, with it, I'd imagine. Basically. So, look, there have been plenty of stories of journos actually seeing the car in Japan, potentially. So unconfirmed, but sort of get catching glimpses of, it, glimpses of it here and there. So I suspect that, yeah, it was very close to, to – I mean, look, it's less than 12 months away now, so it must have been very close to being finished. No Fabulous. point pulling the plug on that. But the unwritten part of that is that this will – potentially be the last one will, will they find the money to do another one who knows who knows all right well look we'll we'll get into the feedback that we've had and last week's main topic of discussion was around upcoming wrx the next generation rex very and exciting hammer rock said you know he wants to bet that the next subaru wrx is not going to look anything like that vibe is <laughs> concept that we we showed <laughs> um and he's he's so right he points out that over the last decade or so they've more or less been visual clickbait you know that the, yeah. the concept cars have looked so brilliant and then the resulting production cars have haven't exactly reflected um that look and feel and he says what a shame and i agree i, th I think it is a bit cheeky um to put them out there and then go so far away from them in terms of the car that's ultimately produced yeah mate it's a strategy as old as motor shows themselves but they, the, the the all-out uh concept car that gets everyone's sort of chin wagging writing stories then by the time the car finally appears five years later, they might have kept a sort of angle on the glass or one yeah. of the lines on the rear panel. Oh, you can see how it evolved into this. Well, yes. sort of. <laughs> yes, which is uh, stretching things to the point of breaking. Yeah, uh, exactly. for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I think he's uh, right there. Um, on the other hand, Mark Candy, he likes the look uh, of the thing and compares it to the ProDrive P2, which I wasn't instantly familiar with, but you guys um, probably are. It was 2006. It was a two-seater based on a WRX. It was actually designed by Peter Stevens, who did, among other things, the McLaren F1. And we'll have pictures up uh, for people on YouTube. So I thought that was an interesting uh, kind of comparison that Mark came up with. Yeah. Our old mate Peter Panousis uh, says that the WRX first caught his eye in the Colin McRae days 
when it was the weapon of choice for both rally drivers and Ram Raiders, which yeah. is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely true. Um, he, took, he took one for a drive in 1997 but couldn't fit in it. So he ended up – he's quite a tall guy. Peter joined us on a uh, comparison test last year. He's quite a tall person. Yeah. And uh, he, he bought a Commodore VS instead. So that's <laughs> yeah. much, more, much more commodious. Isn't, uh, it, isn't a, it funny? Sorry, Jason, go on. No, no, he's a bit of a serial shopper in that every time we've spoken with him, he's, he's constantly, he's a bit like uh, Matt Campbell. He's constantly <laughs> assessing the market and, you know, yeah. where is he going to go? Uh, so he's got his fingers crossed that the next model might tick the boxes for him. So he's a potential WRX buyer. But I suspect, well, a, a question for the panel without notice. I, mm. I'm still torn on whether that whole Ram Raid thing was either the best thing that happened to the WRX or the worst thing that happened to the WRX because mate, my Great earliest point. memories of was of it, crashing through, you know, shop front yeah. windows and that kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. usually being tailed by police. And, talk, and I was of an age then where I was like, oh, my God, this car's amazing. It outrun police, do anything you need yep. to do with it. Yeah. So for me, it was well, a good thing, but I imagine Subaru didn't love it all that much. My mind goes to the GTHO Phase 4 Falcon. So it was coming. It was to be the new production touring car for Ford, an evolution of that whole 351 V8 thing. And it was a headline in, I want to say, the Sunday Telegraph in Sydney uh, that more or less killed it, you know, that, that the PR, you would think, wow, it's too fast, it's too powerful, it's all these things. Yeah. And it was basically outlawed. Government just went, nah, this is crazy. You, you can't have that car forward, uh, withdrew its production, and there were only a handful that had been built. So, you know, as a, as a manufacturer or a brand, I think it can be quite negative when, it can when be, you become... Yeah. You become the antisocial or the the dangerous kind of brand, but I, I'm with you, Chester. I'm kind of two ways. I reckon it did both it's, it's, <laughs> for, different, it for different people. It definitely forms a part of the WRX mystique, doesn't it? It's definitely yeah. part, part yeah. of the story, whether they like it or not. What about you, Tom? Good or bad? Definitely good. I think you can't buy. <laughs> it. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're a young man uh, or a, any young person, and you see these these cars in the headline, you think you know that like that's what I want. That's you know yeah. that's, that's you kind of envision yourself. Well, that in, I mean, not it necessarily does... doing the same thing, but uh, you know. Well, I was going to say uh, it does play into your criminal backstory. That's right. Which is <laughs> so it's probably been an integral part of all that. But um, the other thing is uh, eighty-eight MTB eighty-eight actually had a 1996 WRX STI RA series. Uh, and he said it's the best car he's owned, lightweight, fast, it handled. He's glad that they're upping the game and would like, but he'd like a proper eight or nine speed auto rather than the CVT um, in the yeah. WRX. And I reckon he's probably not alone there. Um, David Burt still relates to early Subaru WRXs in the late 90s. He says, his words, not mine, with cashed-up IT nerds making a packet from saving us from the Y2K bug. <laughs> um, but he's surprised uh, the next-gen car isn't hybrid, which might appeal to the same nerds who are now in their 40s. Yeah. So some interesting thinking there. But, no, as far as we're aware, it's not going to be. Uh, it'll still have that bo box of petrol engine, yeah. I haven't heard a peep uh, of anything hybrid. 1.8 or 2.4 with the engine choices, but... Uh, yeah. Haven't yeah. heard a squeaky peep about hybrid. I think, according to your mail, Chesto, it's 1.8 for the WRX, isn't it? And then 2.4 for the STI version. Yeah, correct, which yes. is a, a turbo-tuned version of, I think, the Subaru Accent, the, or That's Accent, it. I should say, the SUV in the US. Yep. Now, uh, Lofty Visions, love that name, says he wishes Subaru would bring back a car like the SG Forester XT Manual. He had two of them. One set up like a tall Rex and the other was off-roaded with a lift um, and all-terrains. Um, best cars he's ever owned. Another person saying best car, uh, ah. best cars they've ever owned. 
So there's a hole in the current lineup, which he thinks could maybe be filled by a Turbo XV. You know, yes. put, put a little more, uh, put a little more grunt into the XV. Subaru seems to have lost the plot with their recent CVT yawn machines, yeah. and it's such a shame. So um, the addition of a turbo engine into the um, XV, I think that's an interesting idea. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't see why. You just need to look at Mercedes, who have uh, AMG'd everything to great success, and BMW, for that matter. Yep. I yep. wonder why everyone doesn't do it. There's obviously and, a market for it. And it's so much fun and so easy to be a product planner and development engineer just sitting in a chair, you know, and, yeah. uh, and talking about it. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure it's just as easy as developing the car itself. I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, at, at one point, I thought the Lavorg would sort of fill that hole a little bit, right? You know, yeah. turbocharged yeah. engine, wagon body style. Yeah, it's not jacked up or as high as a Forester, but uh, yeah, the CVT kind of uh, mutes a lot of that fun, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it does. Problem. So that, that's a continuing theme. One final uh, Rex comment was from, I, I mainly put this one in because I love this person's YouTube name. Uh, used to earn make money online platform says, <laughs> you <laughs> simply says, you've got a new suit. So, okay, that's his comment. I just loved his name. You've and got then, a, new, a new what? A new suit? Used to earn make money online platform says, you've got a new suit. <laughs> right? That's, uh, I don't, I, we haven't got one. Uh, other people will have one shortly. Um, <laughs> then we, we went on to the Kona Electric and uh, Matt Campbell had been in the Kona Electric and he was talking about it last week yeah. as one of the cars in the garage. And David Burt, second time around, says that um, his second comment, Matt's experience of range and electrical, electrical consumption of the Kona Electric is consistent with his at work. So where he works must have a Kona um, on their fleet, mm -hmm. uh, which does mainly highway trips. Um, he notes that it's an electrical drivetrain implanted into an existing model, not a vehicle designed around that platform. And he sees that as a pretty admirable thing. Whereas you've got the Tesla Model 3 and the VW ID3, they're coming along. He says as a Golf 7 GTI owner, he's more about, excited about driving them than the upcoming Mark 8 Golf. So he, he's yeah. really excited by the prospect of the ID3 and, and a Model 3. So yeah. that's a bit of a turnaround when you see such a traditional hot hatch. Uh, as the uh, owner of that, um, looking at those other vehicles. Mate, I think from memory, the selling point for that ID3 is that it's going to be bigger inside than a Golf and faster, right. than, a, faster than a GTI. Yep. I, and I think for less money, that's, that's yep. the, you know, less money than a traditional Golf GTI. So it makes some sense. Well, de Kook, who's joined us from Germany and is, is now living in Australia, um, came back on that comment and said he's not a fan of the ID3. He's seen the production version and he struggles to see it as a Golf replacement. Uh, okay. mainly, beca mainly because the materials quality, in his words, is rubbish. Um, the stellar ergonomics from earlier concept versions are now in the bin. Um, and he adds that Hyundai's done well offering an electric car that doesn't pretend to be beyond cars. You know what I mean? A, 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 a Prius style, a different kind of proposition altogether for no understandable reason. So he, he's been there and seen it and doesn't rate it. So interesting. So I saw it at Frankfurt. I'm just trying to remember whether how close that was to the production version. Maybe that right. was an earlier iteration yeah. as well. But, mate, I did not find the interior materials to be rubbish. I thought they were really clever, okay. like eco bamboos and stuff. Yeah, this could be a mini Vibis. You know, it could be uh, that we've had a pen thimble trip. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Stephen Hillard wants the Corolla wagon um, as his husband is disabled, needs a mobility scooter and would suit them perfectly. He's looked at the MGHS. He's worried about the brand stability and product longevity. That's, he's not alone there, I suppose. Um, the RAV4, he says there's a 12-month waiting list. So no Jeez. deals to be had, and you've got to wait 12 months. 
So forget the stories about, you know, dealers being in distress. If people have got back orders for um, RAV4, some Toyota retailers are doing okay. Yeah. Um, he's had and loved wagons, knows the Corolla would do the job. He says, better still, what's happened to the Camry wagon or even, you know, earlier versions of, of the Camry maybe should investigate a Kia Stinger. So he's thinking like a liftback. Yep. But um, he, he's one yep. for a, Cor- a Corolla wagon. Um, but TGV uh, comes back, the very fast train. TGV says, um, you know, that SUVs have taken over the wagon role and there just That's aren't right. that many to be had. Um, and it is now very much a niche market. Um, Ford has the ST line Focus wagon, I think, yep. is still a current yep. model. And a few others from more premium uh, brands, but there's just not that many uh, to be had. And uh, DeCool came back again and said that he agrees on the uh, Corolla wagon. Um, that it would be a good prospect, and uh, maybe with the RAV4's hybrid uh, powertrain. He yes. also suggests you should look at the CX-5, uh, Stephen, and it may just be because we know DeCook has just recently purchased a CX-5 um, yes. because he's mentioned that in previous posts. Well, I, just so happens I may have some news on a Toyota Corolla wagon. So just Very good. this week, in fact, Toyota trademarked the name, the, the badge name BZ in Australia and around the world, which, of course, sparked this mass investigation about what it could possibly be referring to. The last time that, that badge was used, it was used on a Corolla wagon, the Corolla BZ. So the theory is, the thinking is that uh, Toyota could, in fact, be readying a Corolla wagon for launch around the world, including in Australia. And I, for one, would be very excited by that. You've probably heard me talk before about how I, I do think that unless you go off-road, there is nothing an SUV can do that a, a good wagon really can't do better. So, yeah, the thought of a Corolla wagon coming aboard is uh, just, just the news I like. But Tung, Tung you and uh, your significant other are expecting a uh, small parcel of joy in yes, the reasonably yes, near future. So it's interesting to ask you, I mean, a wagon does all the things practically. One of the benefits that SUV owners consistently come up with is you have a high riding position for good vision. And also, if you have kids, you're at a reasonable height to be putting them a capsule in or them into a a child restraint, that kind of stuff. And I think that might sound like a small deal, but it's actually a big deal for a lot of people. Totally Totally agree. Well, I'm fortunately in the position that my wife is quite short. So um, uh, we've we've debated about this. We've looked at wagons. We've looked at SUVs. uh, And we are actually falling on the side of wagons. We're actually looking at a Skoda Octavia wagon. Ah, good Uh, Nice one. yeah. Five year warranty, uh, great interior, great powertrain, um, you know, ticks yep. all the boxes. So mm-hmm. uh, we're probably going to be pulling the trigger on that sometime in the next few months it's before great. the little baby arrives. So, yeah, yeah that's definitely well, something to consider. I think the other thing to be said for wagons, if you do manage to hang in there long enough, as the niche becomes narrower and narrower, the, the, the kind of water is evaporating out of the pond. If you're yeah. one of the last fish breathing, you can actually charge a bit of a premium up the spec you know that people really want a wagon and if you manage to be a survivor you can do quite well um, right. in that market so who knows Maybe now the only thing i'd say to is uh, that before june 30 there are some bargains yeah. that you had <laughs> hey. now and there yeah right i'm keeping an eye on those end of financial years <laughs> <laughs> uh, very published good. on carsguide.com.au uh, oh, oh i love that slide. <laughs> i know that's yes now under that topic of general feedback um, TGV came back with another, the very fast train came back with another comment and said, look, we covered different things that we talked about in recent episodes. I, as my car in the garage last week, had the Lexus UX. Now, it has a CVT, 
But in manual mode, I say how much I enjoyed driving it. It was really transformed the car as far as I was concerned. You could get much more involved with the driving the car. He says, doesn't mind CVT in manual mode. Uh, social media is anti-social media because we're talking about Elon Musk's uh, whinging about being criticised uh, online. Yeah. Um, now, Matty Campbell uses the Bell's line of road here outside Sydney in New South Wales as one of his testing roads. And uh, TGV agrees Bell's line of road, great for testing uphill, not so much downhill. So he's fine-tuning his driving up and down there. He also is petitioning Ford Australia, reconsider the Focus ST in wagon form. He'd love a Focus ST as a wagon. Yeah. Um, and he just says another great show, gentlemen. So that's a nice note to close on from him. Thank you, nice TGV. <laughs> now, another great name here, Bonds of Views. Bonds of Views says, I think you're incorrect about the Yaris GR drivetrain. Now, Chester, you'll, you'll uh, have all the, the mail on this. I do. It's not, it's not hybrid, no electric motor on the rear axle. There's a prop shaft to the rear axle with a Haldex-type clutch, no centre diff, and that's absolutely right. So yeah. we were just theorising about what's up, upcoming. Maybe a GRMN version uh, could could step up to to something like that. Who knows? But um, yeah. Bonza is absolutely right. That's the drivetrain in the Yaris. So, sorry, we were just theorising on the Corolla yes. as to what might go on there. It's uh, my understanding too, JC, that there is still a bit of wriggle room in that existing engine. So, because I, I posed that very question to the engineer of ah. the Yaris on the launch, saying, so this is yep. the GR, but Toyota's constantly told us that GR is going to be still a rung below this, you know, properly yep. fire-breathing GRMN. So what yeah. does that mean for the newly developed drivetrain? And he was suggesting that, in fact, there's still a fair bit to squeeze out of it, which is amazing when you think of a 1.6 three-cell engine. <laughs> but there you go. There's still more to go. Fantastic. Okay. That's good to know. Um, Garth Rudlin says, dear day release crew. So that's how he's uh, positioning us. and. Yep. He does know more than we know about Tung, obviously. He thinks that the <laughs> VW T-Roc R could be the template for a new hot hatch petrol segment, you know, that that, that could form a, an, another little niche. Yep. Great for midlife crisis dads with bad knees. I don't know whether that's Garth or not. Maybe, because he said he had a brief ride in a Tesla Roadster and had to fall out of it to exit yeah. on a typical Melbourne winter day, and I've done that too. That, yep. that car is abominable in terms of getting in and out of it. Um, keep up the good work and look forward to all reviews being unleashed on us shortly. So thank you, Garth. And nice uh, Pranav Shroti says, now we talked last week about basically what it's like to be a motoring journalist and the kind of different hats that you have to put on, the way you have to step outside of yourself, think in other terms for different markets, different vehicles, all that kind of stuff. So Pranav has said, I understand as journalists, you need to have independent thoughts and not be biased towards any car brand. However, being human, we tend to lean towards a few particular brands as favourites. Question to the panel, what is your favourite car brand and why? So okay. um, I think that's a fair question. We'll, we'll, we'll just get into a little bit of feedback that uh, Pranav got on YouTube before we respond. Mm -hmm. TGV came back yet again. He's just speeding into the platform one more time. He said, sadly, pathological ideology still plays a part in thought process. So... He cites an example where, best part of 40 years ago, um, he was tap dancing around who and what it was. But it was, it was Wheels magazine. It was Peter Robinson as editor, decided that the No Car of the Year award, yeah. and it was primarily because the XD Falcon at that time, I think it was 1980, had rear leaf spring suspension. He said, that's just not good enough. You know, we're not going to award a Car of the Year. And now TGV says, well, the number one and two selling vehicles in the market both have Rear leaf springs, yes, so exactly. that, that technology is still around. So people will buy what they want to buy. 
Correct. What I, w- what I would say to that is those vehicles are for load carrying ostensibly, Correct. and leaf springs do do a great job in terms of just that downward pressure and managing it all when you're loading up a truck. Um, the XD Falcon, more it's a passenger car. Yes, there was a wagon. Slightly different situation, yeah. but I ab- absolutely take his point. Um, and de Kook jumped in and said that we were also talking about when you go from a, a used car straight into a new car, it can almost be that shock of the new, like this is amazing, no matter what new car it is. And he talked us through a series of cars um, that he had. And he has, lo and behold, got um, a CX-5 that, that yells at him at every school zone, um, even when school isn't in. So we, we need to get to that. But, guys, what do you think in terms of favourite car brand? Do you have such a thing? Well, I'll kick it off if you'd like, and I'll, I'll just circle back to those last two comments for a second as well. I, yep. Regarding the Leaf Springs, I, I think when you look at a car, any car, the, the only thing you can fairly compare it against is the other cars in that segment. So, for example, you approach a dual cab family in a very different way. You approach a city-sized hatch to a luxury sedan, etc. So what good for the goose isn't always good for the gander when it comes to reviewing cars. But from my personal perspective, I, I can honestly say I actually don't have a, a personal favourite car brand. Mm. I guess like 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 a parent, I, I kind of love all of my children equally, although <laughs> some more uh, some more equally than others, I suppose. Yes, <laughs> but I, I guess but journalists often get cons- accused of this thing of, of like perceived bias. But what sure. the, the reality often is that what is being perceived as bias is just consistent greatness from a manufacturer so porsche is one of those whenever you say oh you know i really love this porsche or that porsche people go oh all you ever do is talk about porsche it's mostly because they make consistently good cars and have done for you know for a very long time but sure likewise i I love rejuvenated toyota for all the things it's going to try doing about about uh you know their new focus on driving enjoyment i love hyundai for what it's doing with uh affordable performance i love mazda for its design i love mclaren for the fact that it's a kind of like the most precision supercar tool you can probably buy at the moment. But, you know, there's something to love about everyone out there. But I've got, I've got heaps that I enjoy. All right. Fantastic. Tung, what do you reckon? Well, I think if you look at my previous car buying history, it's quite obvious that I am a Mazda fan. Uh, I okay. used to have a, okay. an MX-5 and I owned an RX-8 for five years uh, without any trouble. Um, the RX-7 was always one of my, you know, all-time favorite cars growing up. Um but you look at it now, and I think, you know, it's a very uh, broad question. What is your favorite car brand? I would have to put Hyundai out there just for the, you know, pure breadth of what they're able to do at the moment and their ambition. You know, yes. you, you look across their product portfolio, they've got electric cars, electric SUVs, they've got hot hatches, you know, they've got a, a, an outright sports car in development and a dual cab ute. Uh, that's ambitious. That's exciting. That's what, you know, puts them as uh, at the top of my favorite list. At the yeah, moment. very good. Very good. I'm, I think I, I don't know what kind of unconscious bias is lurking in the back of my brain. It's there and it has its effect without me really knowing um, that I'm doing it. I'm sure that happens. But I do make an effort to be as even-handed as I can. You notice I've got a couple of Mercs in the garage. I, I, my first job as a junior burger was with Merc Australia. And I, I think historically I do admire that brand. So from a, from a classic point of view, it's the oldest car manufacturer I was a bit like a puppy, you know, first job, you're getting printed and that's sort of on you, that, that maybe has its impact. But I really do try and be as even-handed as possible and think about the person that's in the market for that car 
rather right. than anything that I'm, you know, particularly thinking about. Got to think about them. So it's a, it's a really good question. Can um, I add but... one more boring thing, JC? Sure. So for all the reviewing we do, I guess the question, and I'm sure you gentlemen go through the same thing, the question you get asked the most is from people wondering what car they should buy next, which is a really tricky question to answer. Yep. Usually the, the first thing I say is what car do you like the best? Yep. That's the car you should buy. But, yeah. but, the, but the second thing I say, and I know this sounds really boring, but actually the advice I give people now is to forget about the sort of new car smell. Actually, the things you should be focusing on is length and quality of warranty, servicing costs, service intervals. That whole cost of ownership picture is what you yes. actually live with long after the new car and the new car smells begins to fade. So they're, they're the sort of key selling points for me I, now. I would add, Chesto, I don't think we're trying to lord it over anybody. No. And, and dictating that this is the car you must buy. All we're trying to do, or at least all I'm trying to do, I can speak for myself, is illuminate pros and cons with that particular car as it relates yeah, to its in, intended purpose and the segment that it's going into at a particular price. To, so to, if, if you have different priorities, hopefully we've just shown enough stuff that you've yep, been yep. able to make a slightly more informed choice. Slight difference from me, JC. I try to lord it over people and tell them exactly exactly what car they should buy. And any other car is wrong. So different, just different approaches. Approaches. Okay, fair enough. I think, I think a person in the market looking to buy a car, I mean, they might look at uh, two or three things. You know, they, they'll look at the price, uh, they'll look at the badge, and they might look at the practicality. And I think as, as car reviewers, as journalists, I think it's our job to highlight that there's more things to consider than just those three things. You know, you have to put yeah. everything into text you have to like chesto said you know look at the, the warranty the servicing costs everything else involved so that a buyer can make the most informed decision but but tung i think there's also this wild card which is emotion yeah, in that yes, when so. you ask yep. someone why are they considering a particular car they say oh it's the resale it's the safety it's the quality it's the ownership package it's the this the economy whatever they like the look of it you know it's, yeah, gonna, it's gonna it's gonna come down to oh gee i just like that car and that's mm. perfectly valid it's an exciting thing to buy a new car. So sometimes you've got to pick through it and work out what someone is actually on about, um, what yep. they really think rather than what they're telling you. Uh, but that, that in a world where uh, emotion still drives car sales, that's what keeps the roads around us exciting. So thank the heavens for that. But yeah. also, to be honest with you, there, there is I, – I won't name them, but I can only think of a handful of genuinely sort of bad cars that I would steer people away from. Everything sure. else really – it's yeah. pretty good. It just it's yeah. up to you how much you value fuel economy, technology, warranty, those kind of things, your budget. True. But there's a you know, really it's it is almost difficult to go too far wrong these days. Well, I, I have said before, I'll say it again, I am old enough to have driven brand new cars that have seriously fallen apart while yeah. I was driving them. Major components have fallen off from under the dashboard. Things have just come adrift. That, thankfully, is long ancient history yeah so right. I, I take your point you've got a base level that is stratospherically higher than it was than even it a used couple to of decades ago yeah yeah now we'll we'll get closer to the end of the comments we had pranev come back for another comment um being right hand drive australia and other markets miss out on many exciting and you know terrific models is what he's saying um should all countries come to an agreement assuming right is right with a smiley face um, he wants to know our thoughts on this. Um, David Burt came back and said, sounds like a great idea, idea but the expense would be enormous, mm. you know. And it put me in mind of Sweden. And uh, I don't know, you guys are probably familiar with this, but it was in 1967, 3rd of September, they just went, right, today 
We drive on the other side of the road. They, they flicked the from, switch. Yep, they went from the left-hand side. It was called H-Day, um, yep. which the full name, let me have a crack at this, Hoga Traffic Omlageningen was Perfectly the pronounced. name of it. So H-Day, Dagen H, the right-hand traffic diversion. And um, it just happened on one day. The first thing, one of the first things when I became aware of that some time ago is buses. You know, yeah. buses are made so that the doors are on the side that you're going to open out onto the footpath or pavement. Swap to the other side and you've all, all of a sudden got bus passengers <laughs> having to walk into the traffic to get around and onto the bus. There would be a million little details like that that yeah, would exactly. put people in serious peril. Small price to pay, though, JC, for a uh, wider selection of cars. I, man, Look, I, I'm all for I'd be it. up for it. I think I, I really think we all should be on the same side of the road. Unfortunately, it's not going to be our side. We are in the uh, massive minority, so we'd yes. be changing sides. But yeah. I, my my biggest fear is moving moving beyond today, as the car market seems to be contracting. Fewer people are buying new cars. Kids are less interested in new cars. Car companies do start really questioning the expense of building cars in both left and right hand drive. And I think in the future we'll just miss out on more and more product. Yeah, yep. I mean I think we've spoken before electrification possibly opens up with less, less oily bits and mechanical stuff. Exactly. You can possibly just swap a, like a steering pod from the right to the – and a pedal set that yep. just moves from right to left. So That's from right. a product point of view, you could maybe do that. But then just saying to people, okay, tomorrow you're on the other side <laughs> of the road. If I, was, if I was a tow truck driver, I would just oh, be rubbing my hands together. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. final, 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 Vanda came at us – and says, loved it. In fact, they loved it so much, they made the comment twice. So ah. Vanda just loved it. So thank you for that. Fantastic. Now, we are going to move on to our main topic, which is um, about Mitsubishi. But first of all, we were chatting earlier off air about a bit of an update on how the alliance, uh, which is, you know, Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi in this three-way alliance, might work. There's been news overnight that was related to the Z car um, and other things as well, yeah? Yeah, that's right. So, look, it's no secret that uh, – I won't recap all of it here, but when, when Carlos sort of fled, fled Japan in what, from, by all reports, a cello case or Wasn't something. Wasn't he in a guitar case? Or a guitar yeah, case a cello case, case, was it? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> he was not that short, Jason. So. A bit of massive guitar. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, look, he, uh, for whatever reason, and, and, you know, we're not blaming anybody, but but it did leave a, uh, part of that. Some of the people in that alliance in a fair bit of financial peril. Nissan uh, explained a lot of it last night. They lost, you know, a sizable sum of money in the last Japanese financial year, and they're looking to reclaim it. And the strategy to do that is going to be to, to clearly differentiate what each player in the alliance. For those who don't know, by the way, the alliance is uh, Nissan, Mitsubishi, and Renault. Each player will get their own sort of super special section to work on. So Mitsubishi is going to be uh, sort of trucks, LCVs, and uh, those kind of things, uh, mm -hmm. SUVs. Nissan is going to be focusing on their autonomous stuff. They, they're already pretty far along with the ProPilot system, which works really well in Japan. It's the freeway exit to freeway exit speed system. Cool. And, uh, and Renault is going to be focusing more on an electric future. So right. that's, that, that's going to be the kind of clear delineation, I guess, between the three players in it moving forward. But, but meaning, Chesto, they each do the development work and then share it across the three exactly. verticals, yeah? Exactly. Okay. So Renault, uh, right. Nissan gets Renault's electric kit, Renault gets Nissan's autonomous kit, and, and Mitsubishi just uh, does what okay. it does, I suppose. Well, I mean, what we've done, our very own uh, Stephen Otley has come up with, yes, it's got a very um, uh, storied backstory, but we've had a crack at where they should be going in the future um, in Australia. And he's coughed up with a few models that need to be replaced 
and that there are things lurking actually in the current catalogue and some in the near-term catalogue that could do the job. And, and we've got utes as our top-selling cars at the moment, and mm -hmm. one of them is that, the Triton Absolute, uh, which was a concept car from 2019. Yes. I have some information on that one as well, Sophie. Hey, very good. Great. So uh, Mitsubishi will be doing the, the Absolute. Um, absolutely, uh, no pun intended. But <laughs> yeah. they cannot—they can't use the absolute name because there was a facility in Queensland who already had it, and so the trademark was knocked back. So okay. I think they've changed it now to the Tanami that in uh, in Australia. That's a good name. I like it. Correct. So, but that will yeah. be coming. But remember, that is mostly a sort of parts bin special. So yes. it's just putting on all the all the cool options, making it look as tough as possible without much mechanical change. But yes, there is an absolute under another name coming. But I suppose, I mean, Tung, you're following uh, the new market each, each month. Yep. It's such a hot segment. There are so many utes and they're all good. You've got to be upping your game all the time. You can't sit still for even a minute. So for Mitsubishi to be just thinking, oh, yeah, Triton, it's going all right, that, that, you'll fall off the back of the pack yep. immediately. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, all you have to do is you look at that top end of the ute market that, uh, you know, that blends kind of like the lifestyle work and, you know, off-road capabilities altogether. That that part of the dual-cap ute market is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as, yes. you know, the Ranger Raptor, the Nissan Navara Intrek Warrior, uh, you know, the Toyota Hilux uh, Rugged X, all those cars come to market. People want that. And Mitsubishi yeah. has got to be looking at that part a uh, piece of the pie and going, I want to buy it as well. Mm -hmm. Well, people who previously may have been going for XR Falcon, SS Commodore, HSV, uh, Ford Performance, etc., they seem to have just pretty much en masse put their focus on to dual cab utes and tricking those out. And it, right. is an, it is an immense market. Mm -hmm. It yeah. is huge. Now, we'll go to the next one that Stephen uh, thinks has a future here or should have a future here, which is called the Expander. Now, it is really a people mover, but it has overtones of SUV. And there's, in fact, um, an Expander Cross model, which goes even further down that path. Mm -hmm. So it's a three-row vehicle. And we'll have some pictures up for people on YouTube. Not a big part of the market. The Tarago, for example, just withered on the vine and, and fell off it eventually, and it had the most brand equity, but the Carnival has done very well. Mm -hmm. So Stephen's theory is if you've got a good product that's maybe not as, as substantial as the Carnival, uh, you could do quite well with it. Yeah, and look, I tend to agree. If, if you haven't seen that expander, I'm sure it's going to pop up on screen now. It's quite a handsome-looking thing, you know. Mm -hmm. the, the days of, uh, you know, having to hide your head in shame driving a people mover seem to be behind mm -hmm. you. It is actually a really good-looking little car. And, yeah. it, and for me, sales are incremental. It doesn't need to do a million sales a year provided it performs yep. okay in its segment and, and yeah yeah adds to the grand total well talk about bias you know um I, i'll put my hand up to saying i was until recently thinking the day you buy a people mover is the day you should just take the pills you know forget about it that's it it's all over because uh your life has come to an end but yeah. having driven um you know various iterations of the current soon to be replaced carnival it's a terrific vehicle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Expander would be an interesting one. But the Expander to me reminds me of the Kia Rondo. Do you remember that? I do. So, to me, that was a real sleeper car. That was a really yeah. nice driving, you know, I think it was seven-seater from memory. It was a really but good it, thing. Every time I heard the name Rondo, though, I heard Ronda. I just thought <laughs> it was for, for, you know, a person called Ronda. Yeah. And, and then all, all, all kinds of, what was it, financial services advertising where – 
You look hot today, Rhonda, like a sunrise. Oh, yeah. 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 Anyway. <laughs> oh, that okay. was Katoot, I think, from memory. Katoot was. <laughs> okay, now, another one long overdue uh, for replacement is the Pajero, which, yes. which still ticks along, and uh, quite a few of them actually move out. I think it's mid-2000 uh, in terms of volume, 2,500-odd per year, um, yep. is oh, – sorry, 2,800. Uh, moved in in 2019 yeah so this it's still ticking but it's way overdue for replacement i dug out some pictures of a concept from 2019 um, called the engelberg tourer concept um and it's a three-row phev so that's something that mitsubishi has a lot of experience with that could be um, a signal for an upcoming pajero or pajero sport but it's well overdue can I dive in for just uh, just to pour a little bit of bad news on the conversation? So there, there were reports out of Japan back in March that that um, unconfirmed reports that Mitsubishi were working on a new Pajero based on that concept. JC, okay, um, it was going to get a plug-in hybrid engine. It was going to be the you know the the future of of, of the Pajero nameplate. Uh, so we were quite excited by that. Went to Mitsubishi and said, "What well, can you tell us about this?" And, we, and they they in no no mixed terms said, "We can tell you that the reports are wrong." They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> there is uh, no, no plan for the Pajero. It's well, well and truly off the table as, as we Wow. D- does that mean that it might fade away as a model or, or they're just, it soldiers on, Lancer stock? Look, I, I, I'm not sure the, whether it goes or, or, or whether it stays. I presume that uh, it would be only a matter of time before uh, emissions regulations globally kind of spell the end for it anyway, unless they are going to replace it. Um, it's not to say that it will never be replaced, but there's certainly no short, short-term plan to do so. Okay. All right, now the other one is the ASX. Now, it, it does very well in the Australian market anyway, and it has done for some time, but it is, under the skin, um, a, a pretty long-in-the-tooth platform. I, I, for one, think the current ASX looks really good. I yeah, think in terms of the kind of design and styling development of that car, it still has a lot of curb appeal, and I think that's helping it in the market. But um, it is undeniably up against some hot competition. You think about CX-3, Kona, HRV, whether or not it's able to maintain these sales without getting some kind of new generation model, it's a pretty mm. pretty fair question. I completely agree. Uh, the, I think that car, I think it looks good, and I think it mm. sells on its size too. It is a big, small okay. SUV, mm. um, and, and, it's, and it's quite affordably priced too. But you can only, like we learned with the Lancer, you can only soldier on for so long before you do need to start bringing in some new stuff. That's <laughs> Otherwise, right. As you say, withers on the vine. Or you become a retro classic. Yeah, that's right. You know, you do you do a Morgan and you become classic and you're still, yeah, built, out, still right. built out of wood. But yeah. the, the problem, problem is not all retros are classics and I'm not sure the A6 that's would fall into that. That's true. That's true. Um, I must say, even when, when the MX-5 first arrived, the first generation NA and having a first drive in that car, because it was so unashamedly kind of Lotus Land inspired and it was a retro car, I remember driving and thinking, yeah, you get all kinds of retro problems. Like the, <laughs> the, the instruments, they were just your classic instruments, rev counter, speedometer. The reflection off that was just cruel. Um, and it made you realise how far cars had come. So if you go yeah. retro, you do get retro problems. Um, but then speaking of, of Lancer, um, Stephen is suggesting that the Lancer might have a sniff of success if it were to be updated. I can't say that I'm I'm on board with this one. I think, you know, the small market is ASX for Mitsubishi. Yeah. The Lancer yeah. died because it just was out of step with the market as a, a small sedan. Yeah, I tend to I agree. Think, 
I think I think we look back a little bit more fondly on the Lancer because there was a flagship evolution variant of that car more yeah. than anything else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the heyday of Mackinac editions and, and you yeah. know, updates regular Evo developments. And that brings us to the last one, which is Stephen saying return um, of the evolution. So the whole Evo, Evo name. And Mitsubishi has a lot of equity in that, and yeah. they could leverage it on something. And there have been concept vehicles, and you'll see a you know a flash SUV-style concept called the Evolution, um, and maybe it becomes a platform. And I know that several years ago there was a lot of chat about Evo coming back as a small SUV as opposed to a sedan-based thing. Yeah. So let me just interrupt and say it wouldn't be a podcast without my dog barking at the back. <laughs> Tommy yeah. is, is always impeccable. Oh, look, it's barking at the kookaburra behind you. It's You couldn't think of a more Aussie scene. No, <laughs> she's actually a big Evo fan. She's barking along with you saying, yeah, bring it back. <laughs> uh, mate, well, I, I, would, I would love to see that nameplate come back in something yeah. fast. I think it's got electric written all over it with a dual or quad motor system, four-wheel drive, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. I, I just think that would be awesome. Whether it happens or not, who knows, but Christ, I'd love to see it. Yeah. Would it be out of the realms of possibility uh, for that nameplate to come back as an SUV, just like Mitsubishi resurrected the Eclipse nameplate? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. so. In a lot I of think ways, you, it would make more sense. You, yeah. put it, you put it on, well, within bounds of reason, pretty much anything, and it's going to get people's attention because That's it right. does yep. have such a well-regarded back catalogue. Put Evo on it, and oh, your people will start uh, looking for it. But that, that e-evolution concept, to your point, Chesto, does have a triple motor, um, all-wheel drive layout. So yeah. that's something that's obviously in Mitsubishi's thinking. Uh, awesome. And, yeah, we'll see. Mate, the, the other thing, JC, is rally art. When are we going to see the, the yeah. rally arts come back? Remember the Mitsubishi Colt rally I art? know, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it was, um, you know, kind of an embryonic Mitsubishi AMG or, a, yeah. you know, a BMW M. And it was very yeah. much their motorsport arm, and it did develop their motorsport cars, yeah. um, both in rally raid and, and rallies and other areas. But no, it just faded away. It's it's nowhere. That could make a comeback. Yeah, I'd like to see that come back. In fact, I'd like to see the Colt Mitsubishi Colt come back. <laughs> okay. okay, time out. We're just you know that's that's just crazy. That's crazy talk. All right, now we're going to move to our garage, and we'll focus on the cars that you two guys have been driving this week. I haven't exactly. I've been staying put pretty much. Yep. But Tung, we'll kick it off with you, and you yep. have been in an Italian machine of the SUV variety. Absolutely. I've had a uh, Alfa Romeo Giulia Q for the last week. Um, you know, obviously that's their mid-size SUV based off the, the Giulia sedan. Uh, yep. Q being their top spec variant, uh, yep. you know, gets a 2.9 litre twin turbo uh, petrol V6 outputting oh, 375 kilowatts mm. from them, uh, 600 mm. meters. So yes. a brisk SUV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know a lot of a lot of the changes. Uh, you know, I actually prefer the the Stelvio a lot more than the the Julia. Um, you do it, in what way? It gets all wheel drive for starters, uh, right. so it makes it a little bit more sure footed. I remember the Julia Q being a little bit skittish in the rear. Okay. Uh, don't know if it's because that was an older sort of press car. The tires had sort of worn out, or or you know, or that's because just because you're a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Man, it might thing. have been the McDonald's trays you had under the back tyres. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit more 
comfortable throwing the Stelvio around corners, uh, which is nice. It still gets the uh, you know the really nice interior with um, the the uh, flappy paddles that are okay. stuck to the steering column, not the steering wheel. Yeah, you turn it and they stay in place, and they're big, so, big, big units. So you prefer that, do you, Tom? I do, I do. Oh. Is that a controversial opinion? No, no, not at all. It's your opinion, and you're perfectly entitled to hold it. I just find it maddening. I, I much prefer the paddles <laughs> to be on the wheel. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're so big in the Stelvio queue, though, that you can't, you know, miss them. Um, right. You know, a lot of the time you, you kind of turn and you're like, oh, I don't know where the paddle is, uh, you know, when they're sort of like stuck on the thing. But, like, you just cannot miss shift, I think. That's right? good. So, um, but to, to me, it raises that, that age-old question about look, the whole point of an SUV is to have a slightly higher ride and all of that stuff. And then you try and reverse engineer it to make it feel buttoned down and hunkered down. Yep. In corners, but, but you believe that that's been a success. It feels even better than the sedan. A hundred percent. I wow. Actually, okay. The Stelvio Q has been uh, my favourite performance SUV I've driven to date. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, Chesto, you yes. have been in an SUV. It would be more difficult to characterise it as a performance SUV. I'm but, say um, yes. Fill, that's true. Fill us in. Can I, I'm just going to quickly, if you don't mind, I'm going to circle back to you for just a second, Tom, because, I, mate, I agree with you. I okay. drove the, the uh, back then it was still called the Quadrifoglio rather than the Q, and I actually yep. drove it on a road called the Jebel Jai Mountain Road outside of Dubai, which is a wonderfully twisting sort of alpine circuit, or as alpine as they get there. And, uh, mate, I, I thought it was sensational. It's a Ferrari-drived engine, super punchy and powerful, perhaps not as nice inside as a premium SUV should be, but as a driver, I thought it was great. Anyway, we'll, uh, I'll... Uh, Move from that very exciting car to an equally exciting exciting car. car. Uh, I have once again spent a week in my long term, which is the Hyundai venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is in active trim. Uh, 1.6 litre engine uh, puts out one kilowatt and half a newton metre. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Uh, um, but look, it, it, to be honest with you, it, it, it is, uh, look, it's not super powerful. It's not supposed to be. It's the entry-level Hyundai car. I read a really great report from Hyundai in North America where the CEO there, and I might be misquoting him, so forgive me if it wasn't actually him, was describing it as the perfect alternative to a, to a used car. So if you want like yep. a brand-new car at the right, right price point that has modern equipment but you can't afford to spend too much, that's where the accent, sorry, the uh, venue slots in essentially yep. replacing the accent that was, of course, the, the entry point to the Hyundai family. Now, it is a city-based car, but I found myself having to do a fair bit of driving this week. I was doing a job uh, just up past Newcastle about three hours each way, which gave me an opportunity to put it to work on the freeway properly for the first time. Okay. And I've got to say, I came away really impressed by just the breadth of ability of these cars now, like these little city cars that you know aren't, aren't particularly overpowered, diminutive dimensions, et cetera. But really, can you know take you anywhere you want to go without really breaking breaking a sweat? The only downside, of course, is the cruise control when you're going uphill, with it without a lot of power on tap, it gets very fidgety through the through the gearbox. You're sort of jumping yes. from you know third yes. to fourth to third to fourth to third to fourth, uh, yes. almost like an old EDM dance track. You can sort of dance along to the changes. <laughs> um, but look, you know, I, I remain really impressed by it. it it's a uh, Hyundai is very open about it being a you know a perfect first car, a stepping stone to the Hyundai family. What what, what color is yours again, Chester? We're probably seeing pictures of it while while we're speaking. But uh, what's the color? Yeah, that's one of the downsides. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a very sort of purpley blue. I'll see if I can find uh. the exact color for you, but. 
Mate, I'm very boring when it comes to cars. Just give me the a, a standard choice of five colours. I'll be happy. I don't want your bright right. yellows or bright greens or anything else. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is called Intense Blue, and, and it certainly is. It's Intense. Uh, yeah, got, got a bit of purple through it. Uh, yeah, so that's one downside. <laughs> All right. Well, look, speaking of Intense, it's time for Musk Watch. Musk Watch. Now, we will kick it off with Elon and Grimes's new baby boy. And everybody knows that it uh, picked up an odd name. And what, has, what transpires is, well, we've, I've learned that it is um, pronounced X-Ash-A-12. Okay? X-Ash-A-12. So, California state constitutional oh, law no. says names can only contain the 26 letters of the English alphabet. So the 12-bit, problematic. So they've changed the name to X-Ash-A12. It's just that the 12 is now in Roman numerals. So actually being an X and two I's to get around um, the problem. So Grimes on Instagram actually said, looks better, to be honest. Like She's worried (laughs) about what this this name looks like, which just, look, what, what is going on there? And a YouTube commenter, Michael Gary Scott, said, they trying so hard. Oh, my And God. I thought, that, that is perfect. That is perfect. But now, this poor kid is a 50-year-old. What I know. I'm XS12. Sorry? Yeah. He's going he's to come home every day, basically black and blue, and roll call will just be horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, have it, have it taking this kid to, you know, Disney World, trying to get his name tag on one of those. Yeah, that's, right. yeah, that's true. That's true. Neil deGrasse Neil deGrasse Tyson um, says Elon Musk, this is speaking on Yahoo Finance, by the way, says Elon Musk is a visionary that puts money where his mouth is. And um, turns out astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson is a big fan of Elon, says he's a person with big ideas who goes ahead and executes them. So he's not being too critical in terms of where those ideas go. It's just, wow, we need people like this in our society. So this is in the context of a SpaceX launch for NASA to the International Space Station. We're recording this on a Friday. It was meant to happen Wednesday evening, I think, US time in California. It was delayed to Saturday because of weather. Um, So he says this is a step towards making access to space so inexpensive that everybody participates and it's no longer the purview of government. So he's happy that this is being um, grabbed by private hands. This is a good thing to have in your society. People who have big ideas that dream big and execute on them in the face of naysayers. Now, he sees it as naysayers. I would say it's like an alternate point of view um, rather than just being, (laughs) you know, unnecessarily negative. Or just Um, a logical argument, yeah. Neil says, (laughs) Neil deGrasse Tyson says, he's a special kind of person. It helped, first of all, that he went into this business a billionaire, said Tyson. With him, he's a visionary that wants to put money where his mouth is. He says, I'm going to build rockets, and he starts building rockets. I think that's part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Call call me a naysayer. But um, I I still am spooked by the number of little uh, SpaceX satellites that are heading out around around the place. Uh, It worries me no end. Mate, it, it reminds me of the Terminator quote from uh, when Skynet, you know, was so busy wondering if you could do something. 
you never thought of you should do it. Why? Sure. Why? Why are we trying to privatize space? What's the purpose here? What? What? I don't understand I agree. the end game. To me, it feels like there'd be less uh, oversight yeah. uh, in terms yeah. of what's going on. Absolutely. I'm, I feel like doing this. Let's let's nuke the dark side of the moon so that we can uh, extract a whole shed load of minerals. I know. Fine. Well, that could happen. That is now within the bounds of reason. So That's right. It, yeah, I find it a little bit troubling, but others, astrophysicists, uh, don't. Mate, he would impress me more if he turned his considerable fortune and attention to sort of removing plastics from the oceans or, mm -hmm. you know, rever or, or reversing uh, glacial yeah. loss or something, not no, trying well, to I fire rubbish into space. I think he's more or less written off this planet. Like, we've, yeah, we've, we've, right. this one's just rubbish, put it in the bin. We need to get to Moon and then as a stepping stone to Mars and we'll go yeah. and stuff that one up. You know, Which, when you think about it, JC, does make the, make the child's name make a lot more sense. I think it'll be, it'll be you and I that are embarrassed up there meeting the aliens <laughs> saying, I'm James, it, I'm Andrew. What? It just, it just <laughs> plays into the theory that I still subscribe to, which is humans are a virus and this is the first cell that we're ruining and that we'll just hop onto these other hop ones onto the next one, and right. spread out and just we become a negative force in the cosmos. Yeah, um, that's right. Anyway, don't get me started. <laughs> the, the next thing, Cybertruck. Now, Jay Leno has had the privilege, so-called, of driving the <laughs> Cybertruck. And, in fact, Elon said, why don't we just duck under the streets of LA and drive it through the Boring Company tunnel that I think is a couple of kilometres there, test tunnel, and that, in fact, happened. Um, so... Musk says, uh, we've got some video footage um, up behind us for people on YouTube. Now, he says, we want to make the uh, production car look better than the show car. This is in conversation <laughs> with Jay Leno. So this is the Vibes um, syndrome again. He's so yeah. tired of show cars looking fantastic and then the production car being a bit of a disappointment. He wants to make the production Cybertruck more exciting and more appealing than the concept car. But he, the thing I noticed, you don't hear him laughing a whole lot. In this video, if people want to have a look at it on uh, YouTube, he laughs like a full-on geek. Seriously, <laughs> it's like a really high-pitched kind of embarrassing, cringy giggle, awesome. um, which, which I found very uncomfortable. And when um, Jay Leno said to him, why do you want it to be bulletproof? You know, it's got this stainless steel thing and you're so proud of the, the bulletproof glass, which turned out not to be, um, on the launch. He says, because it's cool and badass. Oh. You know, don't you, don't you want your car to be bulletproof? I thought, that's what he's on about. He's just trying to, trying to you know, pick the zeitgeist. Yeah. Um, anyway, he said, Leno said, for what it's worth, that it feels to drive a lot like other Teslas. It's got that, you know, immediate acceleration. He'd like the huge glass house, that it's just mostly glass up in that very angular bit. But the thing that struck me, and you'll see in the vision that we've got up, it's big. When you get it in the context of traffic, in yeah. LA traffic, it is immense. It's like an F-150, F-250. It's like a Ram yeah. 3500, you know, uh, 2500. It's, it's enormous. And mate, um, big, big in the context of US traffic is absolutely ginormous in the context yeah. of Australian traffic. Look, I think in one shot, there's something like a Wrangler um, in traffic next to it, and it looks tiny. It looks yeah, like a micro like car. It yeah. just shows you how, how large this vehicle is. But um, on that subject, we'll move to the share price. Oh. And it's $820 a share. It was 827 last week, so it's gone down just a little bit. But what has happened in the intervening week is that Tesla prices, in, as in not the stock price, but the price for the vehicles in the US and in China have dropped. They've been lowered. Now, 
part of me says it was always the intention that the Model 3 should be at about $35,000. That was the yeah. promise. They're currently at 40000 is your, your cheapest way into one in the US. So that's valid, you know. Um, what We always said we were going to do this. Yep. But often it's, it's a sign of distress, you know, yep. that, that you're lowering your price to increase your volume. And um, Barron's uh, ran a story to that end saying, look, on the one hand, there's this argument. It was always promised. On the other hand, uh, it's not a good look. And Stephen Slayton, one of the commenters on the Barron's site, said, look, if I was an investor, I would be incensed that this was happening. If you're claiming that there's increased demand and yet you're dropping prices, that is not a good way of doing no. business. And he ends it with saying, it may take years, but this scam will implode in a scandal that will make Madoff a historical footnote. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, by that stage, Elon will be on Mars with his huge payout. <laughs> he, will. he will. He will. So, oh, look, on that note, we have reached the finish line. And I want to say thank you, Chesto. Thank you very much, everyone. And thank you, Tung. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jason. Good one. And thanks to our sound distribution technician, digital prophet and chief biscuit dunker, Mr. Pritchard, for his all-around genius. Today, he's in his crazy for Swayze t-shirt, banana beach shorts and fish flip-flops, which is just jaw-dropping, amazing um, outfit. Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast. Or email us, as several people continue to do, at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an iTunes listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, middle-aged bloke in a Porsche 911 GT3. On the freeway, sails past the speed limit. Loving it. Sure enough, highway patrol comes screaming up on his tail, lights flashing, siren blasting. Old mate panics and thinks, I have to get away from him, and pins the throttle. Then he checks himself. What am I doing? I'm too old for this. Pulls over to wait for the highway patrol car to catch up. The police officer eventually pulls up behind the 911 and walks up to the window. Sir, he says, looking at his watch, my shift ends in 10 minutes. Then I'm off on four weeks holiday. If you can give me a reason why you were speeding and, in fact, trying to get away from me, one that I've never heard before, I'll let you go. Bloke looks back at him and says, last week, my wife ran off with a police officer and I thought he was you. Bring her back. <laughs> Cop says, have a nice day. <laughs> Thank you, Hammer. Thank you, Hammer. Thank you, Hammer Rocks. Well done. It's a good one.